The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for... April 27, 2022, your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you in Austin, Texas. I'll tell you what, I think the last episode that we did of this show before we went to Ohio uh, was fairly prophetic. (laughs) We had an interview with uh, Tom Merritt, who talked about why, bafflingly, Twitter is and the sale, the possible sale to Elon Musk is a political story. And guess what? Twitter sold to Elon Musk and it is the number one story in politics, despite the fact that it does not involve an election or a politician. We interrogate that a little bit further as we go through all the takes that I have been able to find and break them down. I'm here to ring the bell of disaster because, and I'm inventing new IP here, but the bell of disaster is a bell we are going to ring when something is going horribly (laughs) for a candidate. And spoiler alert, it is going horribly for David Perdue in his race to unseat Brian Kemp. This would be a fantastic failure for Donald Trump, for whom Brian Kemp is public enemy number one. But we're going to get into uh, not only some of the latest polling. Oh, it's bad. And it only keeps getting worse for Purdue. But also they had uh, themselves a debate and we will play some clips of that. And finally... We're going to have an interview about something that you guys have wanted me to talk about since I left for Ohio, and that is this Reedy Creek Improvement Zone thing that we told you about a few weeks ago. Ron DeSantis pushing through the state legislature a law that will allegedly dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement Zone. And boy, have there been a lot of of people speculating on exactly what that means and whether or not it's even possible to do. We're going to have a uh, someone who's been covering this for Mediate on Sarah Rumpf. Before we get going here, though, uh, a little bit of breaking news. Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, has tested positive for the novel coronavirus 19. Not a lot of information on where she got it or how she got it. Uh, She is obviously vaxxed and boosted. But and God, you know, especially whenever I'm on the road and whenever I'm um. Covering politics. I like to watch Veep. 
I watch Veep when I go to sleep. It, it doesn't matter. I get to the end of Veep. I just go back to the first episode and I just watch Veep over and over and over again. It is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I need them to bring it back. I need Veep back or just do another show that deals with Veep-esque storylines because the tweet that went around the world about this news story about Kamala Harris was Kamala Harris has tested positive for COVID. She is not considered a close contact for President Biden. And I can just, in my head, it is unspooling the episode of Veep that would be spun out of Gary trying to take care of Selena Meyer while she has COVID, but she's really upset that she is being written as not a close contact to the president and them trying to figure out ways that they can like leak or make it seem like they were close to each other while not making it seem like she was getting the president sick. Ah, It just mm, chef's kiss. Get well, Kamala, but also bring back Veep. I mean, if you're going to use your powers for good, please do that. Bird first. According to, well, the parties themselves, they put out a press release. Elon Musk uh, has had his bid to purchase the company Twitter accepted uh, the initial bid that he put in, he said it was his uh, best and final offer, and they wound up accepting it after Elon uh, secured funding to shore up the bid. Uh, it's a massive, massive change in the shift of the world of social media. Uh, let me actually make a statement here. Just in case, because, you know, you never know who finds this podcast and what they know of me and whether or not they followed me from other stuff that I've done. Somebody emailed in and they were correct to do so that when I had Tom Merritt on last week, well, I should have just as good hygiene pointed out that I am a paid contributor on his program, The Daily Tech News Show. I appear every Thursday. With that disclosure out of the way. I just want to say that this is not my first rodeo in terms of covering tech news. It is kind of a thing that I have done now for over a decade. So when I say that this is a big shift for social media, I mean it in the following ways. Number one, social media companies have largely been purchased by other social media companies. And it's only really in the last few months and and maybe a year that the concept of doing that was verboten. There are possible antitrust bills swimming around the House and the Senate when it comes to technology. And specifically, if you are buying something that is also heavy into the same business model that you in that you are in. And in that case, when it comes to Facebook and Google and Twitter and Snapchat, what we're talking about is display advertising then the idea of purchasing another social media company, Facebook purchasing Twitter or something like that, or Snapchat is not going to happen. Facebook wouldn't do it. Google wouldn't do it. Amazon wouldn't do it. They all are in the ad sales business. They don't want to do that. The last company, the last biggest company that I can think of getting sold would be Twitch to Amazon. 
I guess since we're in the disclosure portion too, I should point out that when I mentioned Twitch, my wife works at Twitch. So moving on, Elon, a private person buying Twitter is very interesting because that's not normally what happens. Private equity has bought media in the past, but Twitter isn't really media, and yet it is almost more important than media because it is where media comes to get stories, if that makes sense. Here is what Elon tweeted uh, as part of the press release between him and Twitter. Quote, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. Now, the most chilling part of that statement is when he says authenticating all humans, because as somebody who has a blue check Mark that therefore differentiates him from the rest of the unwashed hoi polloi, I cannot dear stomach the idea of uh, uh, everybody getting a blue check for authentication purposes. Pshaw. I I can't even just take a look at this foie gras in front of me. No, Jeeves, take the mint julep back. I'm in no mood. All kidding aside, here are the biggest questions that I think are coming out of this. And trust me, they're going to get back to politics in a second. Number one, will all the banned accounts come back? Free speech being code for people should be able to say things, even if you believe that they are over the line. I want to read for you now a uh, tweet from the official account of Marjorie Taylor Greene. You guys know I very rarely do stuff like this, but I felt this was a good shorthand. Bring back President Trump. Bring back my personal account. Bring back Dr. Robert Malone. Bring back Alex Jones. Bring back Milo. I can't pronounce his last name. Bring back the canceled nation. Bring back freedom of speech. Bring back America. American flag emoji. Obviously, this is going to be something that will be a political touchdown. I had the vision when all this was going down Monday of Elon being the New York city regulators who go down to the basement of the ghostbusters building in that titular film and pulls the lever releasing the containment field as all the ghosts start flying out and wreaking havoc all over New York city. It looks like a lot of people are going to get their accounts back. It looks like the concept of Twitter being a place that, uh, uh, decides that you are never allowed on there again is going to rethink things going forward. We don't know what that will mean, but obviously there are some, pol- there is political coding here and we're going to get to that in a second. First, let's talk about free speech. Cause that's one of the other biggest questions that I have seen around on Twitter. 
that this platform will become a hellscape in the name of quote unquote free speech. I'm going to play you a clip now from MSNBC that made the rounds in conservative Twitter, uh, mostly because of the total lack of self-awareness by the host. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Yes, indeed. Wouldn't it be crazy if uh, <laughs> one party put their thumb on the scales when it came to social media? Uh, boy, I'll bet you if that were happening, you would be very excited if some pissed off billionaire bought the entire platform, wouldn't you? The concept of free speech is something that I fear. No, I know. I don't fear it. I know it. It means different things to different people. You know, free speech for what Elon Musk is saying and said in that statement is the idea that uh, a sacred concept that you should not be persecuted for your views, even if they are wrong or repugnant. Free speech to the people that are complaining the most on Twitter is nothing more than a dog whistle. It is a permission slip for the worst elements of our society to run wild. We are a, a teacher turning our back in a kindergarten class as all the bullies beat up all the nerds uh, uh, in, in the school. This is uh, absolute anarchy. And nothing that allows that level of free speech maximalism will be able to be a functional place wherein good communication happens. So let's get to another negative take on this. Is Elon simply buying this so he can make the rules? And for that, let's talk about Elon Jet. Elon Jet is a Twitter account. In fact, let me read from uh, this protocol article about Elon Jet. Quote, can you take this down? It's a security risk. That's how Elon Musk opened a conversation with a 19-year-old Jack Sweeney over Twitter DM last fall. He was referencing a Twitter account called Elon Jet, which tracks the movement of his private jet around the world. It was a late night message coming at 12, 13 a.m. Sweeney's time, but the college freshman didn't lose any sleep. His reply, nearly seven hours later, yes, I can, but it'll cost you a Model 3. Only joking. Unless? Elon Jet is one of 15 fight tra flight tracking accounts Sweeney has created. Run by bots, he's programmed to parse the data and tweet every time a chosen plane takes off or lands. Each one follows a high-profile person, almost all in tech, including Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. But Musk's tracker is the most popular with nearly 83,000 followers. The article goes on to detail that Elon went back and forth with the kid and offered him $5,000 to shut it down, said that he was not into the idea that some maniac could know exactly when he was landing and where he was and shoot him. But as of right now, the Elon Jet Twitter account is still up. I know this because 
I know that Elon Musk left Austin, Texas for Brownsville, Texas, where his rocket company SpaceX has a facility on Monday. Elon himself, though, who obviously wants this thing down and now will own the platform for which it publishes, tweeted this, quote, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Does he define his worst critics by a website that details his movements? That is a question we will have to find in the next few months. But here's my biggest question. My biggest question is the same one that I asked Tom a week ago. Why is this a straight line political issue? I got a couple guesses. More famous conservative media voices and politicians are currently banned on Twitter. I don't know that for sure. It's an anecdotal thing, but I don't I can't even think offhand of a liberal commentator or a liberal politician that's been banned from the platform. A change in leadership to the conservative audience represents a possible change in that current dynamic. Number two. The blue check system is capricious, opaque, and rewards institutions with more liberal members. As much as I like to joke about it, journalists are given blue checks en masse through through their institution and keep them forever. So in case you don't know this, not every journalist goes to Twitter and applies. They were working at a blog or a media outlet. The head of whatever social media relations talks to Twitter. Twitter says, cool, send us a list of accounts and we'll verify them all. They do. Those accounts stay verified forever, no matter if the journalist gets fired, quits, or the institution itself folds. With that being said, journalists tend to be liberal largely because the prestige journalism institutions that produce the talent that tends to get hired are liberal colleges. Again, there is no Liberty University to the New York Times pipeline. There are a kajillion Northwestern and Syracuse University and University of Florida and and USC pipelines to every major media outlet, including those that are currently being made right now. So if the majority of blue checks are liberal, which I, again, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to take a guess. It sure feels like that to me anecdotally and homegrown talents on the platform, people who just became famous because they were good tweeters are not verified then you might imagine that conservatives would be frustrated by that system and would like a change. Conservatives have rammed their head against the wall for years with Twitter. In fact, they are, I mean, the the, the vast majority of Twitter clones and possible replacements would be replacements in the last five years have been made almost explicitly on political lines. You know, back in the day, you had Jaiku and Plurk and like all these different micro blogging status updating platforms that wanted to be better than Twitter. And they all had their little reasons why they were going to be better than Twitter. They all failed. 
the ones recently, Getter, Truth Social, I forget the other one, uh, they were all made basically on the premise that conservatives are not given a fair shake on Twitter. So, A, obviously there is just a political fault line with this platform. Obviously, there is a conservative base that feels this platform is not treating them right. And it is hilarious to listen to liberals for the first time uh, uh, basically go crazy and say the same stuff that everybody who was leaving for Getter and Truth said when they were pretending to leave the platform. And then, of course, there's the Elon of it all. Elon Musk is a loaded term. I believe he is a Rorschach test. Depending on your perspective, he is either a real-life Tony Stark down to his too-clever-by-half S-posting on social media and the occasional blunt puff on Joe Rogan. He's the entrepreneur of his age, conquering tech with PayPal, moving into two of the most impossible fields in American business a domestic car manufacturing company and rocketry. He's not only succeeded in both of those, he's redefined both of the industries. Twin liberal issues, electric vehicles and space exploration are decades further along than they would have been had he not entered into these spaces. But, 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 he's not all that, says the other perspective. He's a grifter, a snake oil salesman. You know, he didn't found Tesla, by the way. He came on afterward, put his name on it, took all the credit. And sure, he's had some hits, but let's remember that he consistently promises things that he can't deliver. He wants to dig holes in the city to solve traffic. More like bilk cities out of more money, which, by the way, this bootstrapped, self-made man entered into two areas, green tech and space, that just happened to be fat with government money. Under all the hype and weird nerd worship, Elon is just another union-busting billionaire stepping on the neck of the worker. But at least he's got a fun Twitter account. And that's all the stuff we get into before we touch Elon's actual explicit political leanings. He was part of President Trump's advisory council before leaving when Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. He's been critical of Joe Biden, who loves to tout the rise of green tech and electric cars while happening to leave out Tesla, which sells the most of them. This is nakedly because Tesla is not a union shop and Joe Biden has a long and storied history with the auto workers unions. In the 2020 election, Elon endorsed Andrew Yang. The truth is, is that we have no idea how this is going to turn out. Donald Trump says he will not rejoin Twitter if his account is restored and instead start posting on Truth Social which he owns. We'll see about that. Look, the reality is that Twitter isn't going away. The flood of discord from the left is as hollow as it was on the right when they were mad about something. 
At the end of the day, there are few places where we can don our digital ski masks and bludgeon total strangers with sociopathic bad faith attacks in the constant hunt to generate more dopamine. Twitter will always be there for that. God bless it. They double talk this all the time. Oh, it was a queen. He said it was a queen election. He denies anything. I didn't ever say that. I have never said that. Ever. What, it, do you not tonight think it was a clean election? I've you never it said a, it was a clean the election. The difference you're between you and me, Governor, well, the difference you're, between you're, you and me, excuse me, up. I'm not done yet. The Will difference you between you and me is the fact that you think that John Ossoff and John Bi- or, uh, uh, Biden won fair and square. That's the difference between the two of us. You're telling the people in Georgia that that's what the truth is, and you want us to swallow that and move on. Well, let me remind you, I can speak for myself, and that's not what I said. I've always said there's fraud in every election. And when I was Secretary of State, I went after it. Uh, I didn't say there wasn't problems in this election. Look, I was as frustrated as anybody else. That's why we passed the strongest election integrity act in the country. Because a lot of things that were done by other people, like drop boxes being approved by the state board elections. I'm sure you're going to blame me for that later on. Those are selections from... A debate between David Perdue and Brian Kemp. They are dueling to be the Republican nominee for governor in the great state of Georgia. Uh, Guys, this is a blowout. And I would like to thank Brian Kemp for that. Not because I particularly align with his views over David Perdue, but because I'm trying to figure out what my schedule is going to be. And now I know for a fact that I need to be in Georgia for the initial vote and not the runoff. Because it looks like Brian Kemp is going to blow the doors off of David Perdue. David Perdud. It is over, man. Uh, uh, I I just want to read. This is polls since January. A reminder that when David Perdue announced that he was running, he initially polled leading Brian Kemp. Slim, slim one, right? Like one point. I'm just going to read you these. Okay, so uh, a January poll, mid-January, Kemp plus seven. Mid-February, Kemp plus nine. Late February, early March, Kemp plus nine. Early March, Kemp plus 11. Early April, Kemp plus 11. Mid-April, Kemp plus 24. And finally, mid to late April, Kemp plus 26. He is running ahead of the 50% margin that you would need to avoid a runoff. Purdue continues to sink from initially polling as high as 40% to now in this most recent Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll, polling at 27%. So here we go. Let's just say it. Let's just say it right here and right now. If election fraud is the number one issue in your race, You are going to lose. David Perdue is not running against Brian Kemp as somebody who was weak on CRT. 
He is not running against Brian Kemp as somebody who's weak on the border. He's not running uh, against Brian Kemp as somebody who is uh, 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 too in bed with Facebook. All of those issues matter more to the modern voter in Georgia, in my opinion, than the crimes of the 2020 election campaign. Now, it helps Brian Kemp that he passed an election bill that was so onerous, apparently, to the Democratic Party that they made a gigantic deal about it. So he can say, well, look, I passed a bill that the Democrats hated. Then I must be doing something right. David Perdue has got nothing. There is nothing. He is the cupboard is bare. The well has run dry. There is no milk in the carton. This Purdue is out of chickens. And I think this issue and the more that Donald Trump, look, I have said before, and Donald Trump's uh, approval ratings, by the way, are now among the highest of his uh, uh, presidency. I believe that the reason that that is the case is because he doesn't have social media. He doesn't have the uh, ability to broadcast to everybody because I read every single email that comes out of his listserv and it's all about this. And I genuinely think, although I don't know, if, if Trump was on social media and he could see what flops and what gets traction, he probably would move on from this. Because I think if there's one thing that Donald Trump does, no matter what, is follow the heat. He he understands when things break through and when they don't. So maybe it's because he is in his own echo chamber that he just keeps getting mad about this and talking about it. But I think he has benefited by being away from the public eye, at least in terms of social media. Because this stuff is boring. And even his own wave, Georgia Trump voters don't respond to it. Man, it ain't to be responded to. Ladies and gentlemen, you sent me to Ohio. We did it. We did it, kid. We went to the Buckeye State. We carried those uh, campaigns. I brought you back the information. I feel that that information has crystallized this primary, and I feel confident saying that I believe that J.D. Vance will win it now because I've seen it. I went there. I heard them talk. I watched the way that their campaigns acted. That Mandel campaign seemed a little shook. He seems a little shook. It took a dude from Project Veritas to get up there and start fighting the fight that Mandel should have been doing. I knew that because I went there. And guess where I'm going next? The Keystone State. Yeah, baby. I'm going to Pittsburgh. Oh, Yinzer, capital of the world. We are going to track down Dr. Oz. We are going to track down David McCormick. We are going to get those campaigns in full view. And it's going to be because you guys continue to support me. Head on over there. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Going to George after that, by the way. I can't underline again how stupid this is of me. I could stay home. I could do this. But you want to know one? You guys deserve it. 
You guys deserve it. When I say that you guys deserve better coverage, I mean it. I mean it. And the only way it happens is the people who part with their hard-earned money to make sure that I can afford to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Now, you get something for your money. You get something for your money. You get two bonus episodes each and every week if you're signing up at the $3 level. If you're at the $10 level, you get a shout-out at the end, and we've got a bunch of new names on there, too. It makes my heart sing, ladies and gentlemen. Head there right now. Take politics seriously. Our guest today is a contributing editor at Mediaite. She has covered the evolving, and I still think uh, uh, about as clear as the Everglades story of Ron DeSantis going head to head with Disney in attempting to dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement Zone, the personal private government of Walt Disney World. She joins us now. Sarah Rumpf, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, you are a a Florida native who is covering this. And and I want to start here just to lay out for people uh, something that I've said a few times, but I need I need uh, expert testimony on in my understanding <laughs> of state Florida politics, which I followed, you know, through through my life. But I have not been an expert in it was something that I understood that there were three industries for which nobody who wanted to have a career in Florida state politics would ever screw with. One of them is is the Seminole (laughs) tribe, which controls a lot and has only gotten more powerful over the last several decades. The other is Big Sugar, which has long been a gigantic industry in Florida. And the third is the Walt Disney Corporation. Is is that true based on your understanding of Florida politics? I mean, those those are kind of the, the big gorillas in the room of the state economy, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. So. When this when when the governor of Florida, uh, not only I thought it was out of pocket, at least can, you know, uh, compared to other uh, the way other politicians in the state have acted for him to antagonize the the uh, Walt Disney Corporation, let alone do what happened last week, which was seemingly in the 11th hour saying that his redistricting law would also include dissolving special uh, uh, zones and governments for which the Reedy Creek Improvement Zone is is one of them. What was your read on on just the, the timing <laughs> of all that? OK, well, it was a separate bill from redistricting. But what happened is during last week's special session, the legislature came in and really super fast did a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> That ticked everybody off. Yeah. And regarding Disney, I I, want to be really clear on what we're talking about here. The parental rights and education bill, which has been called the don't say gay bill by critics, Mm -hmm. passed. After it passed, the Disney CEO put out a statement saying, we don't like this law. We're going to do whatever we can to repeal it. Yeah. I laughed at that because it just, I mean, no offense against the mouth, but that just sounded like some corporate puffery. Um, 
they, 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 what are they going to do to repeal it? Um, there was already a lawsuit filed almost immediately as soon as DeSantis signed it. The liberal groups and LGBT groups that are funding that lawsuit already have all the money they need. Disney, I think, has donated to the legal fund or some of their officers have. But again, they already had all the money they needed. The lawsuit was already written, already filed. So, you know, it's up to the judge now. Mickey's not the judge. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this temper tantrum and, and Charles Cook at National Review pointed this out. What are they going to do? They want the law to be even more of the law. Like they're having a sore winner's temper tantrum. That's what this is. But remember... Yeah. Disney didn't just issue that statement. They said, we are pausing our donations to elected officials in Florida. Sure. That's, that's much more what this is about. The checkbook got closed. And you'll note that none of the people who sponsored or voted for this bill are willing to give back their donations from Disney. Um, Ana Eskamani, who's a Democrat and my state rep here, has nailed a couple of these guys on this. She was questioning Randy Fine, who was the house sponsor, like, hey, Disney's giving you about $20,000. You're going to give that back? Um, he's not. Um, and, you know, Anna is, you can you can go back and look at Eskamani's Twitter timeline. Like, she has been a loud vocal critic of Walt Disney World, specifically on labor issues and a couple other issues. She won't go to the parks. Like, she's not, she's not standing for Disney. Um, yeah. So, but she was one of the very vocal critics of this bill. And I wrote a really long piece in Mediaite last week um, that lays out exactly what this is about. This is not, Reedy Creek is not a tax break for Disney. What it is, is extra taxes, actually. So when Walt Disney was flying around Central Florida to look for a place to drop his next theme park, what he saw was I-4 and the Florida Turnpike and Southwest of that, a bunch of swamps and a couple cows wandering around. There was yeah. nothing there. Um, so he had these grand ambitions. Um, some of them came to reality. Some of them kind of got changed after he died. But they wanted to build a much bigger park than they had in California. And they also wanted to be able to control the environment around their park. They didn't want conflicting businesses across the street. They wanted to be able to have their own hotels and get all the mm -hmm. sweet money from the hotels. Um, and so there was a lot of reasons that they wanted a bigger parcel, but they ended up getting um, about, they originally had 27,000 acres. They, they de-annexed about 2,000 of that to be the town of celebration in the 90s, but they still have about 25,000 acres. Um, at the time, both Orange and Osceola County, the counties that this parcel stretches across, were like, okay, that's cool, but um, we totally cannot help you. <laughs> we don't have the ability to do this. Your parcel is miles away from existing water and electric lines. We don't have any ability to even get geared up to do this. To this day, Disney is a bigger project than Orange or Osceola County want to take on. Last week, I spoke directly to several people within Orange and Osceola County government, including an Orange County commissioner who spoke to me on the record. And her words that she used were terrified. <laughs> I don't know how we take this on. We don't have the capacity. Our staff is already, we're already understaffed. We're already, our budget's already stretched thin. Um, it's, it's just not, it's just not that easy. So 
Anyway, what and, Reedy and, and Creek here, is- And here, hold on. Just, just, just to yeah. get, before we get back into Reedy Creek, uh, uh, just to give people context for the counties that we are talking about, Orange County does encompass a lot of Metro Orlando. Osceola County right. is a little bit more rural. And and while Reedy Creek right. does uh, span, span over both, uh, uh, just so people uh, understand, like uh, Osceola County is like having the exurban- rural county that is outside of your of your big town all of a sudden have to take on something as gigantic as as a uh, uh, Disney if this were to go straight the way that you would assume like if it were dissolved yeah tomorrow. like like if it, for your for your Austin listeners the, I, I lived there for five years the equivalent would be like driving out past Larkhart and like stopping for some barbecue and then driving out another half an hour and like those areas out there like once you get past yeah. Kissimmee and the tourist corridor Osceola is mostly rural. Um, so anyway, what, what happened was, is Florida law allows what's called a special taxing district. And the key word there is taxing. Florida law does not let the counties treat taxpayers differently. You have to have the same millage rate across the entire county. So the only way to get around that is to have landowners agree to a special taxing district. We have 1,800 of them in the state. The Orlando Airport has one. The Cape Canaveral, uh, Cape Canaveral, where the space shuttles mm-hmm. and now SpaceX is, you know, shooting their rockets up in the sky. There's a special district related to that. Super Republican retirement community, the Villages, has several that function in a lot of ways, like Reedy Creek. Now, we're, Reedy we're, Creek. We're, by the way, we're by the way, DeSantis made his announcement. Uh, was at yeah, the village. Yeah, just to be yeah. like extra, like irony, jerk face, whatever you want to call it. Um, anyway, so Reedy Creek is unique in the sheer scope of what the initial statutory authority uh, granted. Um, a lot of people have joked for years about like, oh, you know, Disney can build a nuclear plant. Um, that's not quite true. The statute says they can, but there's a federal law that supersedes that. So if they wanted to actually build a nuclear plant, they'd have to get permission from DC. But um, anyway, they they have a they they do all the water and sewer treatment. They have all their trash and recycling pickup. Um, this is what is responsible for all the road construction and maintenance. Um, I can tell you right now where I live. My part of Orlando is an unincorporated Orange County. There is literally a pothole the size of a hubcap at the end of my street right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody has ever seen a pothole on a Disney maintained road. <laughs> no. um, and the way that they're doing this is in addition to the property taxes that Disney pays to Orange and Osceola County, um, in addition to the sales taxes that they collect like every other business in the state and remit to the state with a portion brought back to the county. And in addition to the tourist development tax that is levied on every single hotel room stay within the state, the Reedy Creek Improvement District levies an additional tax with an additional millage rate they set on Disney property. They take that money in. It's roughly $150 million in revenue, I think, last year. And then they use that for a variety of things, including running a non-nuclear power plant, the water stuff. They have a fire department. They have EMS. Um, fun fact, if you hurt yourself at a Disney park, the medical care that you get, you will not get a bill for it. Like, let's say you fall and trip and, uh, God forbid, like break an arm or something. And they can say, yeah. patch you up and put you in an ambulance. You will not get charged for that ambulance ride to the local hospital. Um, the Reedy Creek EMS does not charge for their services. That is something that Reedy Creek and has decided that their tax they're levying is going to be covering. Um, yeah. 
They cover, they, they, I've, I've been digging into the building codes. They have a specific code called the Epcot code that is equivalent or stricter than the Florida building code. Um, so this, this narrative that Disney is trying to get out of things, get around Florida law or not fulfill its obligations or not pay taxes is garbage. Um, they're paying more. They're taxing themselves more. And they've been taxing themselves more for 55 years. It'll be 55 years in May. Um, so what, what our crazy government did last week was declare that Reedy Creek as a legal entity will cease to exist on June 1st, 2023, which yeah. is insane. And every local government attorney, advisor, planner, government official that I've spoken to is screaming about that deadline because it's not something that's feasible to do well in that time, even if you wanted to, and they don't want to. Um, well, yeah. Like, just doing a water agreement is a year. Like, to unwind <laughs> something like Reedy Creek in, it, in a impossible. year is... Yeah, I, I, no. I, 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 absolutely impossible. So here, I want to circle back to the question of taxes because all of this happened so fast. You know, it was yeah. uh, uh, announced and then voted on and and uh, I think a lot of people, including great journalists like like you, are just left to kind of find whatever shreds of any kind of hints of like, well, what the hell happened? What is going to happen? Because like you pointed out, the concept of dissolving the Reedy Creek Improvement Zone is is uh, would be a a a a Brexit level issue. Like like it would be something that would need yeah. to be moved forward and negotiated over a period of five to seven years to 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 legitimately unwind it. Even if you were only going to do the simplest thing, which is effectively just say, okay, uh, Disney privatizes all of its little industries that are now included in there, and so Osceola and Orange County effectively just hand the money back. To Disney no, to run their no, own stuff. No, no, that can't that can't be legally done. That's the problem. That's the problem because a special taxing district is a quasi-governmental entity. And yeah. besides a bazillion ways that I don't think that this was legally done, um, the bill they passed creates a direct conflict with the existing statute that says that special districts can only be dissolved with the consent of the vote of their voting landowners, which is Disney and a handful of selected designated board members. Um, and they've got contractual obligations to the bondholders. And this is where it gets real spicy. Okay. Um, this is the only time municipal bonds are ever going to be exciting people. So they're up. <laughs> and, th and this is, this is for, for, for folks who have been following this. This was the stuff that broke today as we are recording here in the mid afternoon of Tuesday, April 26th. Yeah. So. Um, if you pay any attention to your local government, wherever you are in the United States, and I'm pretty sure most of Canada, your counties and cities will fund a lot of their development, new highway projects, water treatment, stuff like that with municipal bonds. Because they are a stable elected democratic government, because they have things that they can use to secure the debt, this is an ability to borrow at a very low interest rate. It's considered usually a very secure loan. They usually have very high bond ratings from all the rating agencies. And Reedy Creek, as a special taxing district, has um, incurred roughly $2 billion of bond debt in this way. This is completely normal. This is completely standard. This is completely legal. Um, but the problem is that you cannot magically wave 
you know, Tinkerbell's wand and make that $2 billion go away if you dissolve Reedy Creek. Because the special taxing district of Reedy Creek is within Orange and Osceola County, dissolving Reedy Creek means that that debt then belongs to Orange and Osceola County. But then remember what I just said, that you can't tax taxpayers differently without that special taxing district. Orange and Osceola County cannot say, okay, well, Reedy Creek doesn't exist, but Disney, that's your debt. You have to pay it. What they would legally be required to do is distribute the obligation for that debt for all the taxpayers in Orange and Osceola County. Our tax collector here in Orange County, um, who's a Democrat, by the way, but again, another one who's been a very loud Disney critic and is ticked off at how much money they've given to Republicans over the years. But anyway, our, our tax collector estimated that the burden this would cause to every Orange County taxpayer would be between $2,200 and $2,800 per family of four. So, you know, I mean, I, I look at the situation and my parents are retired. They live here. Um, they'd be okay, but that would be tough for them. But there's an awful lot of people here that are already living paycheck to paycheck, are already having trouble with rising rents and rising house prices and everything else. Another two to three thousand dollar property tax burden makes people homeless. Like this is catastrophic. Um, and that's only the beginning because that is only the tax increase estimated to be caused directly just by the bond issue. Remember what I said about having to do studies and everything? Orange and Osceola County have an interest in maintaining the status quo. They don't want to take over all this stuff Disney's been dealing with through Reedy Creek, but they can't just take the 1967 state statute and say, okay, copy and paste, we do that. They, they aren't allowed to. Um, they don't have the exact same legal structures. They do have a couple things. There's something called a municipal um, services taxing unit, MSPU, um, which can copy some of the functions. But that's only for unincorporated county areas. Reedy Creek Improvement District includes two cities, Bay Lake and Lake Buena Vista. Guess where all the really valuable crap is? All the parks, pretty much, and yeah. most of the hotels. It's within those city limits. Um, you know, so that doesn't even begin to solve a lot of the problem. Um, and, and again, both Orange and Osceola County have within their own ordinances and regulations requirements of due diligence. So if if they're going to enter into any sort of multi-billion dollar complicated agreement for infrastructure at the state's largest employer and the driver of all the tourist traffic, um, they have due diligence requirements. They have to do studies. And, you know, as, as I said, uh, you know, C Commissioner Moore had already told me that, like, their legal and planning departments are already feel like they're understaffed and stressed. And this kind of big project is the kind of thing that, You'd have to hire a whole bunch of people for. Um, so again, that's a big expense. And then the counties have the choice. Okay, we either raise taxes to pay for this study we don't actually want to do to do a thing that we don't want to do, or we cut services somewhere. So where are they supposed to cut? Cool. We're still recovering from the pandemic. The tourist development tax money is still nowhere near where it was in 2019. Um, and this is the worst time possible to be jumping a major massive, massive, complicated expense on Central Florida. So big uh, yeah. middle finger to Tallahassee for this one. <laughs> well, uh, um, totally understood. Also, this isn't going to happen. Like, there's no way yeah. that this, there's no way that this happens. Uh, not only because for all the reasons that you have laid out very, very diligently, it is 
entirely insane. And, and even if you want to argue about, you know, tax certainty being locked in with 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 Reedy Creek versus uh, anything else, there's no way that anything this tightly bound uh, to the 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 lifeblood of uh, Central Florida gets undone. And it certainly doesn't get undone in a year. You know, with the with the caveat that I mostly cover politics, so I look at everything in a very electoral lens. Ron DeSantis is currently in a race that he will likely win for governor. Right. Uh, he is queuing up uh, uh, reportedly and rumored a, a bid for president of the United States. I'm going to assume that this is effectively a campaign stunt. Uh, oh, it's uh, political theater, the most disgusting type. Yeah. And let me let me point out a couple of things. The effective date of this statute that, you know, Thanos snaps Reedy Creek into dusk has, is, comes effective on June 1st, 2023. That means after the 2022 election yeah. and after the 2023 general session of the legislature. Um, I called it in my initial article, I called that legislative blackmail. The message to Disney is very clear. Sit down, shut up, and open that checkbook again, or else. And th- none of them have been, none, when I would say them, I mean DeSantis, Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunes, the bill sponsors, Randy Fine in the House, and Jennifer Bradley in the Senate, um, and some of the other re- Republican supporters of the bill. None of them have been shy about the fact that this is retaliation for what Disney did. Yeah. And again, remember, speaking out to criticize an already passed bill. It is political speech in its purest sense. We're not talking about some secretive, scary pack that some corporation put dark money into or whatever buzzword you want to use. This is pure political speech. They issued a statement saying we do not like this legislation. Um, and by the way, they only did it. They only did it after, after. they said they weren't going to do it. That, after, they, after they initially said, the, the CEO said, I'm not Bob Iger. I'm not going to get involved in these things. There's yeah. a rebellion amongst the, the the employees. That dude rocking a hard place. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that dude is probably like personally responsible for driving up the stock to Pepto Bismol in the last month. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be an issue. Um, but like, again, like they've been so open about it being retaliation. And this is straight up red meat for the Fox News, Newsmax, email fundraiser audience. I see DeSantis's um, campaign emails, the ones from him directly mm-hmm. from the campaign, the ones from his PAC, the ones from the yep. Republican Party. And let me tell you what, I've lived in Florida all of my life, minus that five-year detour through Austin. I have never in my life heard a Florida politician refer to Disney as a California corporation. And yeah. I've heard it a lot in the last few weeks. And it's almost said like this is the Disney villain, the woke California corporation. Oh, hang on. I just dropped my ear. No okay. problem. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, so yeah, this California corporation. And it's interesting because this is something, you know, like as we talked about, has enormous implications for the Central Florida economy, enormous implications for the local governments. Um, and DeSantis doesn't really have to worry about it because he's running for president. I know he's technically running for governor, but everybody expects him to be running for president in 2024. He already has a national audience. He already has a national fundraising base. If you look up his donations, he is bringing in millions and millions of dollars from all 50 states. He's a nationally known name. 
And this is the kind of fight that Ben Shapiro is cheering him on and Breitbart is cheering him on um, and all those usual suspects. Um, and the rest of the legislature, though, um, like just pop quiz. Uh, you read my article, like, and I've even mentioned some of their names. Can you right now name a current member of the Florida legislature? Uh, no, no, I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> Most cannot. people in Florida might be able to name one or two, if that. Um, and it's just, you know, none of these people are household names and they certainly don't have that kind of fundraising base. Um, they seem to be, they seem to have burned a bridge with Disney and DeSantis went to the Chamber of Commerce last year and told them they were irrelevant. And if they stuck their necks out too far, then he would start looking under the hood of, of their businesses. Um, and we see that coming to play here. So DeSantis has been messaging for the past few months that he is the business-friendly governor. He's the one who kept Florida open during the pandemic. And that's why yeah. our economy is still fine. And you know, various uh, chamber-related groups run ads on television here that have, like, people, like, I think the guy from the Turvis, um, you know, Insulated Tumblers is on there, and, like, a couple of things saying, like, Florida's open for business, and that's been the messaging. Um, but they just said in a really loud way, if you criticize us, we might strike down something that's important to your business in a sudden vengeful fit um and too bad i mean that's that's an insane like beyond well, there, the there's, there's so much yeah, there's like, so much about this method yeah like, this is there's so much about this that is just a funhouse mirror version of how i've always understood the way that florida politics works but let's let's take a look at this from the disney perspective because uh uh while certainly there is a lot of chaos that could come of this event, they are not a hapless bystander. They uh, uh, contribute uh, among the most to both parties, at least before uh, uh, the pause that happened recently. They employ the most amount of lobbyists, I believe, in Tallahassee. Yeah, I think it's like 43 right now. I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot. It's about uh, 40 something. Yeah. Uh, they have always swung a big hammer when it came to Florida state politics. And I can only imagine that they are not going to sit idly by and let this play itself out. They are going to very aggressively push uh, uh, whatever they would like. Do you think that this is more likely to resolve itself in some other countermeasure in the legislature? Is this going to be something like well, when California went after the, the ride share companies and they all bound together to do a, a statewide vote to, to counteract what, what they wanted? Like where, where are we looking at here? So, so here's the thing, because of that June 1st, 2023 deadline, if something doesn't happen soon, both orange and Osceola County and Disney and Reedy Creek are going to have to start stroking huge checks to lawyers. Yeah. Because again, there are ways for them to negotiate something fairly similar, but due diligence will have to be done. A lot of negotiations, a lot of meetings will have to happen. A lot of studies will have to happen. Um, if, 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 if this doesn't get killed dead, I'd say within, I mean, I'm not advising them. My Florida law license is voluntarily inactive. This is not legal advice. There's my disclaimer. <laughs> but if, if this doesn't get squashed within the next like 30 to 60 days, you know, there's going to have to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for each one of these entities and legal fees alone. Very soon. Um, 
what I assume is going to happen, the special sessions ended, the journal session ended a while ago. Um, yeah. And unless they come to their senses and call a new special session to say, oops, the daisy, we don't mean it. Let's revoke that bill we just passed, yeah. um, which would make the scientists look weak. And that doesn't work in this Trump looking environment. That, 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 that so that will not to happen. To. Yeah. Right. So that won't happen. That would be the practical thing that would save the Florida taxpayers a pile of legal fees. But it's not going to happen because nobody wants to apologize or look weak. So. What I assume is going to happen is that there will be a lawsuit filed um, by Reedy Creek with Disney as an additional party um, pointing out the First Amendment issues, pointing out the conflict in the statute, pointing out that the voting landowners of the Reedy Creek Improvement District have most certainly not given their consent to this, pointing out Florida's contractual obligations to the bondholders that prevents them from dissolving municipal bonds and and dissolving a district before the bond is paid off yeah. um and, and pointing out a number of wonky or legal arguments that i'm sure even um the nerdiest of your listeners don't really care to hear a discussion of but there's there's like twenty seven thousand arguments against this um i i would assume that within the next few weeks that we see a massive giant lawsuit on this that not only says that the bill should be struck down but also includes a a demand for, um, depending on the jurisdiction, it's called something like a temporary restraining order um, or an injunction, basically asking the court to say, put a big fat pause button on this and prevent this law from coming into effect at all until that this lit until this litigation is resolved one way or the other. Um, and so that would give all the parties time to breathe and let the litigation play out, which again, I feel is not a lawyer, not an active lawyer right now, but I feel there's a lot of different paths that Disney can succeed on this, or Reedy Creek rather, um, as the legal party. Um, that, that, that seems to be the likely case. The legislature is yeah. not going to fix it. DeSantis won't back down. So to, a lawsuit now is going to be cheaper than a year of study and panic and negotiations and stress and a lawsuit later. There's, there's no way this doesn't end up in court. I just, I don't see no, that. that as I, a I would, I would, I would imagine that the every possible legal and uh, legislative remedy for which Disney will be able to try and chase down, they will try and chase down. I, I think that that is, and that's the thing that's made following this story so interesting to me because not only do you have DeSantis sort of lighting this match and throwing it behind him as he sort of wanders into what should be a fairly uh, uh, easy election this year and then a, a graduation to national politics afterward. But also you have Disney that is is going to fight this on every possible level. They're going to fight this in the courts. They're going to fight it legislatively. They're going to fight it in the media. They're going to fight it everywhere they can because this matters a lot to them. It is it is the the base yeah. OS of their business. Yeah, yeah. And 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 keep in mind, um it's not just a monetary issue. Um like I said, the, the Epcot code, the building code is is stricter in some aspects. And that usually is in areas relating to get guest comfort and safety. Um 
And you think about Disney's interest there and you look at some of the other problems we've had, that that terrible story of the amusement ride on International Drive where the uh, young high school boy, a big kid, he was a football player, was probably too tall for the ride and they let him ride anyway and didn't close it properly. Um, the reports and the inspections that are coming out now, we know that the ride was altered after its most recent inspection to allow it to open further. Um, and that they neglected to add additional supplemental seatbelts, um, which wasn't necessarily required by state law, but that is something that is would have maybe caught him and kept him from sliding out. Um, but again, the way those rides work and adding a seatbelt on means it takes the operator two and a half or whatever more seconds to fasten yeah. everybody in. And they can that means they do less trips up and down every day, makes less money. Disney has a very strong interest in making sure no one gets hurt at the park. Um, people have died on the rides. You can Google it and find it, but it is almost, it, it's, it's a bizarre thing, an undetected heart yes. problem that tragically yeah. relates to something. Years ago, somebody got hurt on Space Mountain because he climbed out of the restraint and stood up. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you hate for anything to happen, but like there's there's a point where, you know, hey, don't be an idiot. Um, don't climb error. out of the safety yeah. restraint on the roller coaster in the dark. Um, so so Disney is maintaining all these things and they have like stricter rules on like how big doorways can be and how many people, if there's an emergency, how many people can exit out of the building in a given amount of time and how quickly the emergency power comes on and how often those emergency backup systems are tested and inspected. Um, and, and all of this, again, is to keep people safe and keep people happy while they're wandering around the, the state's, you know, big tourism magnet. No one is spending thousands of dollars to fly their family from Wichita, Kansas to go to SeaWorld. No offense against SeaWorld. I love the penguins. But they come to Disney and then they tack on a day at Universal or tack on a day at SeaWorld yeah. or they come to Disney for a couple of days and then go to the beach for a day or two. Disney is the driver. Um, and we don't have a state income tax in Florida because we have so many people that come into the state and spend money here. And that goes to sales taxes and gas taxes and the tourist development tax on the hotels. Um, and so, again, like the fact that the governor and the Republicans in the legislature were like, hey, let's burn this down and see what happens. Um, I, I'm still kind of like, what? Um, you know, and, and again, unlike the governor, unlike the bill sponsors, unlike any Republican in the legislature, I actually talked to people at Reedy Creek. Yeah. I've talked to people at Disney. I've talked to former Disney um, employees. I've talked to a top level executive at Universal. I've talked to people within Orange and Osceola County government. I can arrogantly yet accurately say right now that I'm more informed than pretty much everybody that voted for that bill. Um, and that's embarrassing. Um, there's there's a principle, you know, uh, from G.K. Chesterton that you are coming across a, a field and you see a fence that you don't knock down that fence without yeah. knowing why somebody put it up in the first place. Um, and he used that um, metaphor in specifically talking about reform. Um, when you want to reform a law, and look, again, Disney isn't perfect. Their stance on China alone deserves criticism. Well, yeah, that, um, that, that, that is, that is, yeah, that, that's, that, yeah. that is, that is certainly a whole episode. I mean, I think, maybe, I think maybe these laws 
need to be, maybe these laws need to be looked at. Maybe they need to be studied. Maybe there's areas that they could be handled better, both in terms of benefits for businesses like Disney and for the, the taxpayers of the state of Florida. Um, let's look at that. Go ahead and study that. Ask those questions. Have that debate. But don't just come in and be like, you said something mean, so we're going to smash your sandcastle. Um, I mean, that's what they did. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it just, it, it, it is, it is, it is a, a, a thing that is very much as culture wars have become, have come more to the fore and uh, small dollar donations, which I, I don't yeah. believe that this happens in Florida. The governor of Florida does not go after Disney, no matter how much his, his uh, base might find them repugnant. If small dollar donations don't exist in the way that they do now, where he can right. make up that money he would otherwise get from Disney, probably more so by saying, look at me, I'm the Florida governor who went after Disney. Uh, aren't I uh, yeah. brave? Uh, but it's still, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of questions. And at least we have some of the lay of the land. Thanks to Sarah Rumpf, of, a contributing editor for Mediaite and a writer for Law and Crime. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Thanks a lot. It was a good discussion. And that'll wrap it up for us. Today, Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Sarah for coming on the program, you can do so, px3guest.com. If you want to email into the show, give me your feedback, please, please do, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. My Twitter is px 3 tweets or the show's Twitter rather my Twitter is Justin R. Young I don't normally give it out here but you can you can go come on give me a tweet you can watch me live on the internet px3live.com that's my Twitch channel you can share this podcast with your friends family and clergy px3podcast.com and you can find merch merch for this program politicsmerch.com uh, if you'd like to support the program with a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury is the PayPal. Justin-Young-20. Hey, Chris Hill. Thanks, man, for the $50 spot. Rolled my direction. Thank you. Cash app is PX3 Cash, and you can send any kind of checks in the mail. Uh, and, and anything, really. Gifts, just love letters, whatever. P.O. Box. 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can only get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we make or that we miss during our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these five folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. V-Guard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafety B-Levels, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Yield Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, persons familiar with the matter, invoke Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, 100 Mile Runner, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start, Dr. G, Headphone Sneal, Charles, Darren, 
Alex, owner of the Stronger Now Gym in Atlanta, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front and the Lanina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terror and Diana Shrill Shrieks, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Redneck Tech is awesome. David, Brad, Richard, D-Laser, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Jan Adam L, D Really Chopper, J Pink, Andrew, and Josh. You want your name read along with them? Only one place to go. Take politics seriously.com. Uh, okay. N- Friday's episode will be the glorious return of the political triad. Reunited in person yeah yeah it's on andrew heaton jen briney justin robert young except no substitutions that happens on friday also if you happen to be going to scoop fest that is the uh the big convention finally happening uh surrounding the ice cream social podcast I will be there all weekend. Please do not uh, hesitate to come on up and say hi. Let me know that you are a PX3 listener. All right. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that discusses Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.